Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what's our outtake going to be? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> Anime's Okay. <laughs> anime was a mistake yeah but it was a great mistake. except Jojo Jojo's okay uh, that's that's the rest of the quote <laughs> doesn't get reported very often no, it <laughs> ladies and gentlemen boys and girls retro cultures presenting Retro Cultures Top of 2017. With special guests, the crew of the Brenterprise, Peter, Phil K. the Movie Mage, and Ty. So, anyway. <laughs> Welcome, one and all, back to Retro Culture. I am Special Agent Brett the Wiz here with my uh, fantastic crew of community miscreants. To my right, I have the beloved Rumi. I am the Alfred of this group. Hi, Peter Treisenberg. Uh, Albert. What up? <laughs> and then across from him is them, our movie mage. I am Phil K, the Logman. <laughs> okay. And right next to him, we have a Dat Boy. Yes, that boy. I'm Tyler Staley, I'm sheriff of this little town up in what? Seattle, Washington, somewhere. The Great American West. Mm. It's basically Silent Hill. Thank you. And we are finally here to discuss the top of 2017 due to various mishaps, know-hows, and just overall voice loss. So yes, we're here again with uh, the top of 2017, and as per the Rumi's request, we are going to start with disappointments right off the bat so we can get on to the positive stuff of the year. So, Rumi, since you brought it up, what what is the most disappointing thing of 2017 for you? Uh, aside from Kevin Spacey's existence. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, it's, it's a bummer because Kevin Spacey is a really good actor, and uh, I just, now everything he's done, which I, so a lot of what work his work I really enjoy... It's kind of been tainted by... This is a big thing with the Me Too movement in general, is you're just finding out how many people in Hollywood are just total sleaze, sleaze balls. It's kind of lame. Mm. Also, the entirety of Justice League. Because I was <laughs> at least hoping for a Batman v Superman level train wreck. Instead, I got the CW version of a superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, Phil, what was your most disappointing thing of 2017? The most disappointing thing of 2017 was part of one of my favorite series, sci-fi series I've ever seen, and that's Alien Covenant. And I understand that 
Ridley Scott is being forced to make this movie. And this movie had some high points. Oh, but oh, did it have some low points? Because not every single shot had our wonderful, wonderful androids. Yeah, if only it was just... I, I would take a whole movie of just Michael Fassbender talking to himself. Yeah, just two Michael Fassbender <laughs> talking about philosophy, and that movie would be infinitely better. As Xenomorph shows up, kills a dude in the background, all right, cool, it's in there. Just just give me them hanging out in the woods, holding hands, playing the flute. That's totally not gay. Actually, you know what? Just keep them talking and just have world chaos destruction in the background. Not even in focus. I'll take it. All right. Uh, Ty. Uh, my biggest disappointment, uh, I gotta give it to, um, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> As another on the list of attempted terrible anime adaptation movies, it's just, ugh. We're doing top ten worst of the year. I hear top ten worst of the year. <laughs> uh, number, number ten, Ghost in the Shell. Number nine, Ghost in the Shell. Number eight, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> number seven, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Are we gonna throw in the Death Note movie in there somewhere? Uh, <laughs> but the Keith was so good. <laughs> there's at least two things in that movie that I really like, but and there's one thing in that movie I like, and it wasn't even used well. Yeah, fair. Yeah, no, Death Note's a travesty as well. It's ugh. anime movies hard time because I even hear the uh, Full Metal Alchemist movie is garbage. Oh yeah. Are we excited for Battle Angel Alita? I'm kind of. Excited. I am. I will. I don't know what to think. As for my most disappointing thing, was my friend Tyler. Oh, <laughs> ouch! <laughs> wow! Please, do tell. Tyler's like sharpening the knives over here. <laughs> yeah, Tyler. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. What has Tyler not seen Alien now? So, what specifically about Tyler disappoints you, Tyler? Just his expansive list is one thing. <laughs> the one that just keeps expanding no matter how much I chip away at it. And there's that incident involving the the man of bye-byes. <laughs> so wait, but we looking? don't need to talk about that because this is a positive podcast. We're going to talk about positive so, stuff. So bury the bad thoughts deep, deep down. Deep, say bye-bye to the bye-bye man. down. This <laughs> <laughs> And, okay, yeah, we're going to start with honorable mentions. So, Peter, what are your honorable mentions of the, the year the 2017? Are we going to do them one at a time, or are we just doing them all uh, Like, once? all in the course of, like, a minute to a minute and a half. So, just your, your three. Yeah. Just my three? Okay. Like, give, like, a two-sentence. Actually, no, I've decided I, I will use my tie in my honorable mentions. You're, you're seeing the podcast form directly before your eyes, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's like we've never had a form before. <laughs> yeah. Num- number 14 uh, is the, the the Shape of Water. The uh, Best Picture winner of the year. Academy Award winner, Guillermo del Toro. I'm so happy. I'm so proud. I'm Thank so glad he's getting the recognition he deserves. I just saw a lot of movies this year and I had a hard time fitting it in. It's, it's not bad when it's a really good year. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh uh, number 13, Only the Brave, um, the firefighter movie starring Josh Brolin from the director of Tron Legacy that nobody saw, apparently. <laughs> I uh, didn't. It's, it, it's one of those things where I was expecting it to at least have some turnout from like that kind of rural voter base, but mm-hmm. they apparently this is the one they didn't turn out to see. So, uh, it, it's a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, number 12, Phantom Thread, a wonderful, potentially final performance from... The, the the day Lewis of Daniel, um, and uh, number eleven, my tie for the list is going to be Thor Ragnarok, hmm. and and including my, my 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 girl Kate 
and my other girl Tessa, and uh, some some very cute dudes too. And, ty- and that rock man, yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah, hey man, we're gonna go take on the spaceship. You want to come? <laughs> so Thor Ragnarok was a joy, and uh, that's those are my runner-ups. All Phil. right, Phil. Okay, um, part of first honorable mention is Power Rangers. I mm. love this movie. It's a fun little piece of nostalgia um, for me. I I knew it's not great by standards, but I have fun with it. Um, it was semi disappointing because Brian Cranston really phoned it in. Because well, why would he care about this movie? But it had some really forward, progressive parts of the movie. Um, overall, it was it's just a bunch of fun. So moving on up, we go to Brigsby Bear, the Lonely Island film. <laughs> that movie has Mark Hamill as one of the best dads in the world. Because no man <laughs> would go to the lengths of that if he didn't love the child. Um, but I was real surprised. It's not necessarily my kind of movie. Fish out of water stories really irritate me, but I had fun with it. It was real heartwarming, and I, I, have, I felt the bumps in the in the chest. Uh, followed that up is Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Now I can't give Kong Skull Island a fair a fair review because I was half drunk the first time I saw it. This was at the Alamo before it closed, and plus you were still reeling from the. Discovery of the Brazilian Shape of Water trailer. <laughs> Look, man. Well, I was drunk during that, too. But, I mean, a glass of dragon's milk, not eating anything all day, and I went, this movie was fun. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Samuel Jackson got to be motherfucker Samuel Jackson for the first time, it felt like, in a while. Even um, if they had, to, they had to leap out the last motherfucker. I mean... <laughs> which was a bummer. You only can do so much. And it also ties into its own cinematic universe, which is real surprise, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what to do with the rest of it. Cause King of the Monsters. King of the Monsters. Whoop, whoop. So, whoop. speaking of kings, we'll keep moving on to um, a surprise movie by Jordan Peele. Uh, Get Out. It's an honorable mention for you. It's an honorable mention for me. Again, this movie's good. I enjoy the mystery and intrigue. It was ruined ahead of me because I didn't actually think I'd see this film. And then I watched the film, and the main actress looks like my ex-girlfriend. So I was just distracted the entire oh, time. Allison. I, she looks so much like one of my exes. It was just unnerving, and the whole story was real similar, like, where they were going. Mm. I was going to a faraway place, didn't know the people. Super weird. Real good movie, though. So, super props to Jordan Peele, making that classic comedian. Switch. He won an Oscar! He did. He won an Oscar. <laughs> it was good. He does, he does a good job. The Oscars did the right thing this year. <laughs> Don't in some regards. It. In some regards. Disney. <laughs> so, Tyler. All right. Um, let's, we'll kick up. I'm going to go just from my list of like, like recommended movies, since a few of mine were already mentioned. One, I would say, Wonder Woman. Yep. A very, very strong entry. Not the best of superhero movies, just because it does get very cliche towards the end, and it gets very rather preachy and it rounds off in a way that's like yeah okay it wrapped itself up would you like 10 minutes of straight penis jokes we have 10 <laughs> minutes of penis jokes yeah that too but overall a very solid representation of a female lead superhero movie and i think that would that's a very good staple to have going forward as like a model of something to improve upon for future female lead superhero films it was very very solid um, another one, War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I was honestly pretty surprised by this one. Like, I didn't go into it watching the prequel to it. I saw the first one, which was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Also solid. But this one, I was actually rather well invested. The visual effects were astounding. Um, and Andy Serkis, again, 
pulling out an amazing performance as our main lead. Give this man an Oscar. I know. Give this man an Oscar. He's earned it. He's so earned it in so many of his roles. Um, but he made yeah. you feel feelings for a chimpanzee. There was, what else does he need to there do? There was a movement by Fox to get that movie nominated for a lot of Oscars, but it just didn't take at the end yeah. of the season. That's disappointing. Ugh, because he did such a good then job. Then again, they also nominated... Wait, no, wait. Boss Baby was DreamWorks, wasn't it? Boss Baby yes. was DreamWorks, yeah. Uh, I forgive right. you for not remembering. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have thought it was Blue Sky looking at it. Yeah. Honestly. But they made the Peanuts movie. They did one thing, right? <laughs> That's some good movies. Okay. And last honorable mention I'll give is It. Which is, uh, it's a Stephen King film, part one of a Stephen King <laughs> film. to one. <laughs> Which is a smart decision. I it is. Very, it's very smart to split that up because I do not want to go through it all at once. But solid child acting, I will say. Um, our lead clown was actually rather intimidating this time. Although he, like, I think he took himself a little too seriously um, in some of the stuff they did. Some of it was kind of, eh, you're trying a bit too hard and it doesn't quite pay off. But solid effects. Um, a lot of it was like actually quite tense at some points. I was scared shitless to the point where I damn near broke my date's arm. Yeah. I mean, that pretty much speaks for itself. And Phil, you're a veteran of some horror stuff. Some, but this was this was basement nightmare horror. This was this was your childhood, like childhood scary. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was this was let's reach deep into the recesses of your mind and pull out your trauma. Exactly. It's definitely kind of a universal symbol for sure. For mm-hmm. a reason. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, overall, really good performances, and I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, and uh, back to our head honcho here, the humblest of hosts. Oh yeah, <laughs> humble's a word. There are a lot of things that barely missed out of my honorable mentions. For example, the shape of water is not in my honorable mentions. Wow, your name is just outside my honorable mentions. John Wick Chapter Two, and Coco, and Captain Underpants. Rest his okay, waistband. What's in your honorable mentions? My honorable mentions, number 13, The Black Coat's Daughter. Another A24 horror joint. Uh, this one is about a Catholic school in the late 60s and another incident that happens about 15 years later that's very cool, very collected, very throbbing in its like existential dread, just seeping into these little moments. A very Eggers-esque, like The Witch. And I really dug the hell out of it. It was, it was something to behold, and it was made at roughly the same time as the witch. So it's it's another raid dread situation where they're just so similar in terms of some things, but not exactly the whole thing. Uh, number twelve, the breadwinner, one of the nominees for best animated feature this year. It's it's a movie from Cartoon Saloon, who did Song of the Sea and The Secret of Kells, some very very interesting animated properties. And this movie is uh, about Afghanistan and a family torn apart by the insurgency and the lesson of the movie is is in fact that lessons come with the price sometimes survival is the happiest ending you can get and it's really something very powerful and just something that i was so sorely surprised that was released actually to theaters in america and number 11 nominated for best picture call me by your name an excellent Excellent romantic drama. The other Adrian. dream of 2017. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil. One of them beat out the That's other. That's fine. So. You can have your opinion. Brett's, Brett, Brett, Brett's more of a 3D man than a 2D man. You can seems. have your opinion. But uh, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer are great in this movie, as is my man Michael Stuhlbarg, who had a hell of a year being in three Best Picture nominees and one of the winners. So that was 
pretty swell, but it was a great little fable, a great little coming-of-age romantic tale, and I really highly suggest checking it out, though everyone else in the world has too, but... Yeah, so that's my honorable mentions, uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to move on to the, the meat of the podcast with Peter, your number 10? Number 10, yep. Well, my number 10 is a movie that I feel like I'm probably the only one who's going to be like spotlighting this on a top 10 list, but because it's something, it's a franchise that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions. Huh. I'm not even caring. <laughs> um, I love this movie. I love this. I love Yu-Gi-Oh! Really? And, Dark Side of Dimensions did a really good job of being a continuation of the original show and actually for once making it about the characters and about um, really about Yugi's development since the end of the series, how he's holding up um, uh, in the absence of the Pharaoh um, they introduce a new villain and they tie him his backstory together into the mythology of the series very well and then uh, Eric Stewart uh, returns as Seto Kaiba, and really the main, pretty much the A plot of the movie is about Kaiba, um, and it's he brings it. This is one of the few movie, anime movies where I would actually recommend watching it dubbed, because the Japanese version of Yu-Gi-Oh is it's fine, but it doesn't quite have the same nostalgia level for me personally. And the actors now that they have a proper voice director, like actually do a really really fine job. Um, the animation is off the charts. This series has been around for. 15 years now. This is the anniversary film. And now they have a proper animation budget. It's just, it's a whole lot of fun. If you're a, even a like lapsed Yu-Gi-Oh! fan who d- didn't pay attention after the original series, I feel like it's still worth revisiting. Nice little nostalgia trip. Quite enjoy Dark Side of Dimensions. And that's my number 10. Okay. I guess that moves to me. Number 10 for me is a Charlie Hunnaman movie that came out. Um, Hunnaman? Yeah. Hunnam, whatever. Um, it Charlie was not Hummus. King- <laughs> Charlie Hummus. My number 10 is The Lost City of Zed. Mm-hmm. This is an Amazon movie about the Amazon. And Hollywood does not make films like this. Anymore. No, they don't. This, this movie is really good. It has almost a person's entire life in it with a question mark at the end. Uh, this movie is about it's it's based off of a book, based off of a real story. So we're we're going a few layers deep here, but this movie is just excellent in its mood, in its color, in its entirety of, of how it's shot, and it even has a appearance, well actually a series of appearances by Robert Pattinson, and he's <laughs> just a drunk annoyed guy who's just so much fun to watch in this movie. It's really hard to not get behind him. God, I love Patton. It's really disappointing about this movie because it didn't even make its budget back. But it totally deserves to make it in more. Um, that's, a, that's a common tale in Hollywood. This, yeah, this but, great little movie that had a great story to tell just, oh, didn't find the audience. We're going to talk about that later. I mean, Time even mm-hmm. listed it as one of its top ten films. But um, Who? Time Magazine. Makes sense. Yeah. Um... Lost City of Z goes through adventure, intrigue, there's a bit of war in there, and there's this kind of teaching of lessons, like... Pass- a, fa- a family dynamic, passing the torch. Yeah, passing the torch, um, and just like, here are my mistakes, here's how I'm going to try and fix them, and here's how it ends up. Excellent, well worth the watch. And it has Jeff from Saw 3. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that But anyway, guy. that boy. Alright, on to me. Um, number 10 for my list, 
Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I had so much fun with this movie. I went into it expecting so much less than what I got. From because it. it came like 15 years too late. It, it did. Seems. It comes it can't it comes so far after like the heyday of the books. I kind of see it because you know animation back when the books were popular was not the best, but at the same time it's like a big leap of faith to say that like to try and make a good movie off of a property like this. Yet they do it. Because they refocus the story to actually be almost a critique of the school system. Almost, yeah. They do that, and they also manage to somehow take the essence of the humor from the original books, run with that, but also have it fresh and new enough to be its own thing. I was actually impressed with Kevin Hart for once in a movie. Well, for the first of two times <laughs> last year. <laughs> but not only was the humor solid, it didn't like overuse its toilet humor, which the books were famous for. It didn't overstep those bounds. It also gave a bit of humanity to our characters in a cliche way, but still in a way to where you see two sets of characters. You have um, George and Harold, our troublemakers, and the ever-hateful Mr. Krupp, who in the books never, absolutely never, see eye-to-eye on anything. But in this, they actually managed to make a slight connection and say, you know what, we could be a little bit nicer to him. He's Man, going this, through this, some shit. This is one depressing snoop. Yeah, this is the most <laughs> depressing investigation I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and they don't, like, it's not like, a, oh, this guy's having a bad time, therefore we should always be nice to him from now on. They still have conflict with each other, but they know enough about each other to be like, okay... We're not gonna be total jerks to this guy. We're, we'll we'll ease off a little bit. There's an understanding. He has a tough life, and we know that there is an understanding there. So, and then oh, where it leaves off with a, uh, just like the books did with with absolute promise for sequels. I'm very excited to see if they take this further with a sequel, and it looks like they will. And I don't know. This was just a very fun actually very funny jaunt well animated well acted and I am excited to see more yes tra la la oh no <laughs> here we go again yes a, a, a fine fine children's movie a good family movie very I, much so I really love that and Mind Under 10 is also a very very good family movie this is a movie that came out and disappeared really quickly so I'd be surprised if either of you had heard of this it's called Wonderstruck it's by Todd Haynes, the guy who did Carol and Safe, and it stars the kid from the new Pete's Dragon and a young girl by the name of Millicent Simmons and Julianne Moore. And it's the story of two kids from two different eras. The little girl is from the 1920s, like the, the Great Depression era, and the boy is living in the mid-70s. And their paths collide in quotes when they go on a journey to New York City and explore the Museum of Natural History. They're both deaf. The little girl and the young boy. The young boy very recently is deafened in an accident involving a lightning storm on the phone. And it's a very charming, very wondrous little movie about nostalgia and history and family connections and it's I don't even want to reveal any bits of the plot because it's a it's a wonderful journey to undertake even though I know not many people will seek it out but it's on Amazon Prime it's just a delightful little exploration of just 
delight and childlike wonder. And Julianne Moore plays two roles in it. She's great as always. Millicent Simmons as the young girl. She's an actual deaf actress. A young, like, nine-year-old deaf actress who they hired for this. And she's great. She's going to be in John Krasinski's new horror movie, The Quiet Place. And I'm really, really excited that this is, like, a, a showcasing of a new talent. Like so many other films beforehand where, like, wow... This is the start of something good, and I can't wait to see what happens next. But yeah, Wonderstruck. It's a damn fine little movie, and I, I hope other people seek it out. It's it's really worth your time, and that's my number 10. I was so. going to say, my issue with that one was constantly confusing it with the other film Wonder that came out around the same Wonder, yeah. or Wonder, to Wo- the Wonder, Wonder Woman. Wonder, Woman. <laughs> Wonder ever, that, 2017, the year of Wonder. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. That's right. <laughs> there were quite a few. <laughs> Man, oh man! I wonder if I wonder if something in about 2017 made us all need you to look inward, <laughs> wonder a little bit about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, number nine, Peter. Uh, number nine for me is Ladybird. Um, Ladybird's a wonderful movie. Um, uh, I feel like because I grew up in um, attending the Catholic, a Catholic school, uh, I felt a little bit of kinship with this movie, as well as it just—it's a very convincing portrait of being a teenager. Um, and if you're having, and if you're the kind of person who's had a hard time, has had difficult relationships with their parents, um, particularly your mother, as I say, it does a good job of picking up both sides of the story. So you can do a good job of, uh, it does, so you get a, a sense of the struggles that both the mom and the daughter are going through. And, and you know that it's building towards something. That hopefully them coming together, and then the movie is just going to make you. It's it, it's just going to hurt you while you're waiting for it to happen. Like, no, you guys say what you want to say to each other. It might be too late. Um, I was going to say from what I saw of it, it looks like a very complex relationship depicted. Yeah, it, they have the animosity, but at the same time, they're not just straight out hateful of each other. They do no, have a dynamic relationship. They, they love... That's the thing, is that it's, it's, it's like any other family. They love each other, but sometimes it's really hard. And when you're growing up and you're a teenager and you're, you know, when you... That's, that age is an emotional maelstrom where you're not quite, like, seeing eye to eye with your folks. And, uh... <laughs> when you're learning things like Christianity isn't the only religion in the world. <laughs> yeah, and which makes the, the Catholic school setting that much more interesting. It's also in a very poor um, part of Sacramento, California. Mm. And that plays a big part into it. The parents are struggling financially, and the daughter doesn't quite fully understand the the gravity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the father's dealing with um, depression. She's taking, you know, he's taking medication, and that that comes into play at one point in the story. It's uh, it, I would re- highly recommend uh, Lady Bird. I feel like it's a movie that uh, really really deserves your time. It's not on my list, but I can attest it is It is a fine little motion picture. I tried to convince my parents to go see it with me, but they balked when I described some of the content. So, mm. oh well, eventually. I think that moves it to me. Well, I'm going to start, I'm going to go with number nine, and it's a mainstream movie that has a lot of love and hate between it, and that's Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, this movie is a movie that does require two watchings. That's why it's only number nine. Because two viewings really helps you understand what the heck is going on in this movie. And for you, it was in the case of two viewings in less than 24 hours. Yeah, it was like, (laughs) I went to a late night showing, I went to bed, I woke up, I went to another showing. That's what it was. 
And I really liked this movie. And Sounds like another experience we had. But, yeah, we'll get to that, potentially. You don't know. Maybe it didn't make top ten. You'll find out, won't you? Surprises await all of us. Surprises await many of us. You don't know. You don't know, boy. You don't. Anyway, you're, uh, with The Last Jedi, it's really a breakaway from The Force Awakens for me. Force Awakens was... Disney tiptoeing its way along. Okay, we got to keep this as similar as possible. We have to make sure that our director has his precious lens flares. And then for Last Jedi, they're like, well, no one's ever heard of you except for like one or two movies, so have fun with it. And he does. And this movie presents us some really good, iconic moments. The quiet scene where it's just that beautiful, like massive shot, and you're like, oh, this is happening. Mm -hmm. And it really, this movie pulls the rug out from under you if you have been like this is my stack of theories this will all be revealed in this movie and if I'm wrong burn the world to the ground well not Mm -hmm. only are you wrong you were way off base in totality I feel like that's and this is getting ahead because it's on my list too just higher up like okay well uh, well, we can get to it when we get to your list okay but I just want to I wanted to be mentioned I want to jump off what you're saying go for it because um yeah people really do need to uh learn how to leave their fan theories at the door and appreciate works on their own terms because if you're if you're if you're main if you if you're saying that something isn't paid off and you have to willfully ignore what's presented in the movie to make that argument you need to watch the movie again <laughs> that's all that's it that's yeah, all I'm yeah. saying and then and then for this movie I see the problems people have with it but I'm going to move on from it because guess what every Star Wars movie has problems and this one doesn't have a you space diner no space diner. Um, I thought it was going to have pod racing in it. When I just, close. I was, oh. it was real close, and I was like, "Are, are you going to be that ballsy? Oh, Ryan, do it, do it. Okay, fine. I'll take, I'll take space horses. I'm cool with that. This is fine with me." Um, but yeah, we can definitely talk about this since it's it's later on the list. I don't want to take up everything. So, uh, Tyronius the Brave, what do you got? Aw, that's such a cute nickname. Um, for my number nine, I don't know if this is a movie any of you have heard of and or seen. Um, the Devil's Candy, which, though I've seen it listed as a 2015 movie, I believe was only really released in 2017. The so Black Coat's Daughter was the same way. It was technically finished in 2015, but it was in, like, a release hell yeah. up until, like, and Lost February. It was a 2016 movie. The, the audience can cry about it. The non-existent corpses out there. <laughs> but, um... Still should have gotten nominated for something. <laughs> Uh, the Devil's Candy, to give a brief summary, is a indie horror film about a family that moves into a brand new spanking country home. This where always goes well. Yes. <laughs> where always goes Where in the same town we have a, I believe, a um, seeming schizophrenic who is hearing voices and cannot get them to stop talking to him, and. Um, eventually interacts with this family and then we start seeing that the father figure of this family begins hearing these same voices. Now what actually got me into watching this film was the fact that it described the family as a family of metalheads and my goodness they are and it's so <laughs> wonderful because the I think one of the first things they say going in is they're listening to metal music, they pull up to a school and they're like, can we listen to something else? Yeah, how about Metallica? And I'm just like, oh, I like these people already. Um, so we go forward, and this film plays like it's rather, it's somewhat slow pacing at points. It can be very, very atmospheric when it wants to be. For instance, there are points where all you hear 
are the voices that the characters are hearing in their heads. And this father is a artist by trade. And instead of he, like like his first thing that he starts drawing, starts painting butterflies on a fantasy colorful canvas. Then when the voices kick in, he starts painting depictions of demons and Satan because the voices tell him to. And it turns out these pictures are connected to possible future events and or past events and things that may or may not have happened. And they relate to our schizophrenic friend. So it's this interplay of who's the insane one? Who are, are these voices genuine? Do they actually lead to something? What is going to happen here? But it's also kind of this little shout out to what's the most metal thing we can put in a horror movie? Because it ends on such a metal note, I'm not even kidding. I don't want to give it all away, but it is a fantastic horror flick. It's a it's a lovely little nod to like metal as like this dark root people can take, which, I mean, me being a metal fan myself, I do like the dark tones that some metal can take, but I'm not about to go worship Satan or anything. Um, and three, I think it was very, very well shot, very well um, orchestrated. Some of the silent scenes really get the tension rising. So that would be the reasons for my placing this at number nine on this list. So what you're saying is we need to visit Norway. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'm trying down. to sell them some real estate. Road trip. Road trip. Check it out on Netflix. Yeah, it is on Netflix right now. Check it out. My number nine is a popcorn film, first and foremost. Uh, my number nine is War for the Planet of the Apes. Hmm. <laughs> I have very tangential connections to the original Planet of the Apes. My science teacher in middle school forced us to watch it for a project. And I was like, okay, this is... Fine enough. I skipped Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I saw Dawn. And I was like, okay, that's mildly good. War for the Planet of the Apes is like a whole different kind of animal. No pun intended. It's a really fascinating portrait of a leader. It is the portrait of a leader of a civilization and how he fears for his civilization might soon come to an end if he doesn't take rash, radical terms in order to save his people it's a moses exodus type story with a hard-bent vietnam apocalypse now edge andy circus is a monster in this movie almost as much of a monster as woody harrelson is in the movie but there's some really killer action some killer like uh suspense and thrills and some really touching just connections, be it with Steve Zahn's bad ape, who is this horribly, horribly abused zoo animal, or the girl, um, Nova, they pick up as their unofficial mascot. It is a damn, damn fine popcorn picture, and it reflected the day and age so well, and I was just so unabashedly floored by what's Matt Reeves and Andy Circus had brought to us over the last two films. Uh, bravo, uh, a good and capper to a magn- to a really good trilogy of modern blockbusters. Uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, really damn fine filmmaking. Uh, check it out. 
All right, moving on to the number eight movie in our 2017 countdown. Number eight. Uh, my number eight, Lost City of Zed. Um, we mentioned that earlier. Um, it's a good movie. It's It's got a whole lot, a surprisingly varied cast of just really interesting, off-the-wall actors. Um, Ian McDermott shows up, and I'm always down to see him <laughs> in things. Is, is, is that the Emperor? That, that is indeed the Emperor. Charlie Hunnam, <laughs> Charlie Hunnam, human charisma vacuum that he is, is able to, like, emote... And give an emotionally challenging performance. Spider-Man. It actually works. Tom Holland's in it. Yeah, Spider-Man as his grown-up son in the third act. He and is, right. That, yeah, that works really well. That's always fun to see. I, I think that kid's got a, a future ahead of him. Um, nah. Jeff from Saw 3, which I made Brett watch after this because reasons. <laughs> um, uh, he's in it, and he gets what's coming to him. It's great. Uh, thanks, geez. Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Way to wait, 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 screw it up. All you had to do was listen to Jigsaw, man. I mean, what? You <laughs> <laughs> just... must warn the Eskimos. Mr. Murphy is, is on, on the prowl. Uh, and yeah, Pattinson. Um, Murray. Robert Pattinson really just gets a... He's really getting around lately. Um, he's moved on from... <laughs> he gets around, if you I know mean, what I mean. Peter's not wrong compared to the movies Pattinson's done recently. It's, they've all been great. It's true. Yeah, right. He's really he's upped his game a lot since the Twilight days. But that's my number eight. Okay. Hot damn! Uh, number eight is also kind of a disappointment because it would be much higher if it weren't for some stuff that happened. Um, the better version of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Baby Driver, is my number eight. I don't see the connection. Movies, constant playing with the editing on there. It's basically... Soundtrack. Guardi- soundtrack. It's Baby Driver's Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but better. Plus it has John Hamm. That makes every movie amazing. Yeah. Um, but Baby Driver is this really, for me, fun movie, despite its horrible connection to a good actor and a terrible person. And I have a lot of fun with this movie. The editing is on point. Um, the, even just the opening credits and the way they roll those through is interesting enough for me to keep watching it. Um, the better version of La La Land. <laughs> not ever going to see that movie. The besides the the obvious one, the I guess the most glaring takeaway from this is the third act was completely avoidable, but it was still a ton of fun to watch. And this movie could have very much ended on a hard, sad moment, um, but it ended happily, kindly, and overall, I just I could sit there and enjoy myself in a film with some real good car chases and some real good people. Minus one. Damn good. I was going to say, throughout that, Peter, can you raise your eyebrow any higher? I'm having a really hard time seeing the connection. Between Guardians (laughs) 2 and Baby Driver? I'm having a really hard time seeing the connection. I mean, it's literally... We'll get to Guardians 2 later in this discussion. Okay. Okay. All right. But I really do not see the connection. I may see the connection to the first movie, not to the second one. Second one's a different beast. Uh, the only reason I mentioned it is because Guardians 2 also came out in the same year, and I saw those pretty close together. Fair enough. At the same cinema, no less. Yeah. All right, Ty. Bolt. No. Number eight. Um, for me, Logan. Oh my goodness, where do I start with this one? For instance... It's good. <laughs> it's good. Um, first of all, this movie had me hooked the moment the trailer came around. Because, oh boy. That marketing. Old Man Logan put up against uh, Johnny Cash's Hurt 
Oh, that was poignant. And Brett can attest to this. He he was hooked the moment he saw that trailer, too. But then going into it, this was a, uh, a modern Western, if ever there was one. Our, it takes place in a freaking desert for most of it. And we get so many good things. We get a depiction of a character who has lived many, many lives over most of the people he has cared about. And the results of that, we see the way age has affected him. And we also see the way age has affected other characters that he knows. Like, for instance, we have Professor Xavier in this one, who, in his debilitating age, is almost unable to control his own abilities anymore. Um, But we also have, like, the prospect of passing things on to the next generation. We have our young little Wolverine clone I believe X-23, I believe, is her code name. I forget, Mm -hmm. does she have a name in the movie? Laura. Laura in the film? Okay. Eleven. (laughs) Um, Not the same actress, though. Yeah, I know. Um, But, oh, and props to her. She did phenomenally in this part. She was a bratty little firecracker who you grow to love, and it was absolutely fantastic. But we see a... a, it, this movie was a excellent send off to a actually basically an era for a character who we've been seeing since the two movie. characters yeah two of them actually since like the dawn of the X Men movies they've been playing these roles seventeen long years <laughs> yeah he was I think Hugh Jackman was for almost twenty years playing the so, exclusively the part of the Wolverine um, and. Oh my goodness, this was such a powerful and effective send-off. Does it have its problems? Absolutely. But I didn't necessarily care about most of them. And, like, I just enjoyed myself watching this. It was a solid X-Men flick featuring one of of the most beloved X-Men characters from the cinema films that... Cinema films? From the movies that we have seen over these couple decades. And this was an amazing way to end that story and that's why it's at my number eight yeah it good what good for you all right my number eight is a movie called princess sid now princess sid is the second gender swapped final fantasy game got really (laughs) (laughs) look man sid's always been a princess look it's a princess sid is the story of a high school athlete who visits her aunt a famous novelist in uh, I want to say she's alongside the East Coast and Sid is just discovering her own sexual identity and sexual preferences and she goes to meet with her aunt just to chill around, sunbathe visit, go jogging, get coffee and she meets a barista who she kind of takes a smittening for and this entire movie is just people actually having conversations like Lady Bird. It's like if Lady Bird actually ended with that, what if, if Lady Bird, instead of taking all the way to the end for people to start communicating, they start communicating right from the beginning. Like, dude, what is your problem? Here's my problem. I, I've just got this going on. This this is a bunch of characters actually having conversations, discussing love, aging, the creative process, difference in taste, difference in preferences for gender identity, sexual identity. And it's really, really pretty. A lot of soft focus in this movie. There's just really great relationships. And... It also has a bit of a Me Too connection in some of the plot uh, discretions it takes. 
directions. I'm sorry. I'm great at the English language. But it, uh, Princess It is also on Netflix. It's a charming little relationship tale. Um, it's only 90 minutes, but it, but it packs a lot in into that 90 minutes. It's a lot of good, heady, Linklater-esque conversations, like Before Sunrise or uh, the other movies from the School of Rock guy. But it's it's really charming, really heartfelt, and I I love giving little movies like this attention where they really need it. So if if you have time and really want to spend time over a heartwarming, good feeling movie, check out Princess Sid. It's on Netflix. This podcast is brought to you by Netflix. Check out anyway. Uh, done with that bit. Netflix, sign us a check. <laughs> You're getting so much plugging from this. Sponsor yes, yes. us. Uh, my my next movie is Mother! Exclamation point. Mother! This movie's a f- trip. Where do we begin about uh, Mother? I mean, honest, honest to God, there's not really... It's really hard to discuss Mother without giving the game away. So all I'm really going to say is that... Jennifer myself, Lawrence is great. Jennifer Lawrence is great. Javier Bardem is transcendent. Um... My, myself, Brett, and uh, Brian had the theater to ourselves for this movie, which was good because we were able to play off each other, react to it in real time. There are a lot of layers to this movie. Oh my god, is that a frog? Going beyond even the uh, even the surface level metaphor it's going for, there's just a lot of layers and depth to this movie that I find I find to be very interesting. It's a palpable exercise in tension. The sound, the use of sound, is masterful. I uh, I really can't recommend this movie enough. Although that comes with heavy caveats, like <laughs> as in, be prepared for some. <laughs> you're gonna be thinking about this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, mother, it's a movie. Mother, it's, it's gonna sit with you. It's gonna sit with you. From the director of Noah and you, Requiem for a Dream. You are gonna need Oof. to mull on this one. Noah's yeah. one thing. Requiem for a Dream is another. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, mother. What about you, mother? What's up, mother? Well, my movie doesn't involve mothers. It involves a father dying in like the first ten minutes of the movie. Oh boy! Because my number seven store Ragnarok. I think that's like twenty minutes into that. I love this movie. This movie is exactly the kind of one of the kinds of breaks that Marvel desperately needed. It's a different kind of comedy. It's a kind of story where the good guys lose. The good guys do not win this one. They have minor victories, but as, as a quote mentioned earlier in this podcast, sometimes survival is the best ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even played as ultimate darkness, end of the world. No, it's just, eh, we're moving, is really all it's played as. <laughs> and this movie has just done some stellar... So it's Die of a Wimpy Kid, the long haul? I guess... Um, but this movie has some real standout like side performances. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he doesn't even play anybody but Jeff Goldblum and his orgy world of trash piles. And it's just, it's a treat to watch. And Tessa Thompson, I'm in love, because that is one hell of a battle angel. Like, if I die in battle, and she's the one who brings me to heaven, that it's totally worth all the hardship anybody could ever face. Yeah, uh, then you don't see her after that. I mean, that's fine. I get my one glimpse. I get to be carried up in Tessa Thompson's arm on a winged horse, <laughs> where I feast in battle for all of eternity. Um, this movie has interesting ways of doing humor. It's not just constant word humor. It's, and that's what heroes boom, bam, do, as he gets nailed in the head by a dodgeball. Or the fact that they've given Hulk a character. 
and a better character than being um, ScarJo's love interest, which they make plenty of fun of in this movie, and I'm thoroughly grateful for that. Um, please, please give our director, Taika, just give him more. Give him more Marvel movies. Give him more movies in general, please. Dat Boy! All right, on to Dat Boy. Number seven for me, The Disaster Artist. I have not smiled so consistently through a movie as much as The Disaster Artist. The DeFranco brothers' performances in this, I think, were on... The DeFranco brothers? DeFranco. Yeah, it's both of them. James Franco. James DeFranco brothers. Dave. Franco. I heard DeFranco. DeFranco. I Philip DeFranco. Yo, DeFranco brothers. DeFranco You know, DeFranco. We want to share something I love today. Sup, you beautiful bastards. Today we're going to be watching The Room. <laughs> one of the greatest cinematic classics of all time. And I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shout out to Philip DeFranco. I'm out of my system now. Thank you for that. Thank you. The Franco brothers um, were on point in this one. I this was just a docudrama that was also somehow a comedy. The I absolutely could not stop smiling. Just the personality of the person they were portraying in this was that odd point of awkward yet hilarious almost in its entirety. And the film itself, the making of, it was just a absolute treasure to see these people try and interact with Tommy Wiseau, the strange oddity genius that he is. Um, pretty sure he's a space alien. Pretty sure he is a space alien. He hasn't aged a day. The, the Guardians are still looking for him. That's actually, <laughs> some, <laughs> that's actually something I love about this film. They bring up that mystery, like, who are you exactly? Where are you getting your money from? How old are you? And even at the end, they're like, no, we don't know. I feel like Tommy Wiseau and Neil Breen are probably from the same home world. Probably. <laughs> oh, but... I don't know if there's much more I can say to it other than that. This movie was just a lot of fun to watch. Even the drama itself, I could not altogether take terribly seriously just because of the people who were a part of it. But at the same time, it still hit you as genuine. It was just this mix of... It was an experience that I haven't had in a film yet. And I'm not sure there's another way I can encapsulate it other than it's the making of The Room. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much speaks for itself. So, for those of you who want a genuinely unique movie experience, I would definitely recommend The Disaster Artist for your viewing pleasure. Best Brian Cranston cameo since Godzilla. <laughs> Going on the train of off-kilter comedies, my number seven, The Lure, also known as Korki Dancingi. Yeah, this is a Polish rock and roll musical about mermaids on the Criterion Collection now it is about two mermaid sisters who end up performing at a nightclub in the Soviet bloc like mid 80s we're talking like wham era 1980s so this is the shape of water and (laughs) it's like standard mermaid tale one of them falls in love with this beautiful little boy and the other one's very antisocial very Lisbeth Salander-esque and it's just the tale of them trying to accommodate this new lifestyle of theirs, where they're literally nightclub singers. And it, the aesthetic choices are just ridiculous in this, where instead of traditional, oh, pretty mermaid, these are like eel-style mermaids, where like their tails are about ten feet long. And also they have teeth. 
A lot of teeth. So like sirens, less than mermaids. Kind of a combination of the two, and the, the music is pretty popping. the 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 colors are pretty interesting. Where they, they, it's kind of like lit using like Christmas lights this nightclub, and it's so very. It's kind of skeevy, but kind of uh, welcoming at the same time. And it's also possibly the best ever adaptation of the Little Mermaid we are ever going to get when it comes to the original source material. I was going to say, is this an animated feature or live action? No, it's... No, it's live action. Oh, wow. It's... It's friggin' fantastic. And I... Yeah, Agnieszka Smosinska is... I believe this might be her debut, but... This is a damn fun movie. I... I heard about this randomly. I saw a trailer pop on Twitter, and I'm like, what is this? And immediately when it dropped on Video On Demand, I had to pick it up, like, what is this? I gotta watch this. And it did not disappoint. Hence, it's number seven on my top ten of the year, because I haven't seen anything else like this. There, I can't go into it further. It's fascinating how electric this movie was. Just a new shot of adrenaline into the world of movie musicals this is what i wish more movies were as radical as this it's sort of like thor ragnarok but with a bit more like european and soviet bloc era like aesthetic or something like that it's very it's very down to earth somehow even though it's got this fantastic premise but it's it's a lot of fun so yeah the lore my number seven for 2017 it's ridiculous you all should be watching it you should Okay. Okay, after that rant, uh, y'all can go on. Number six is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Much like uh, The Last Jedi, another movie that came out this year and was a little bit contentious, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 very wisely reduces the scope of its story in order to tell an intimate character-driven piece. Um, One that is very mired in uh, the long-term effects of child abuse. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is a story where every single one of its characters gets, at the very least, an honest, open, revealing moment and insight into the, who they are as a person and what devils and demons have driven them to where they are in life and shown that they're flawed characters who have still have growth to do at the end of the day. Especially it, Groot. It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... It's one of the very best movies Marvel has produced, um... In a very long time, I'm very excited to see what James Gunn does next. Nice. Yeah, James Gunn does, like, so much in that movie. It's yeah. great. <laughs> protect James Gunn at all costs. Indeed. Protect James Gunn. I'd rather protect Sean Gunn first. Yeah, Sean Gunn well, is... Sean. Sean Gunn is Sean, Sean Gunn. I just want to throw in real quick, the humor in that movie, I think, is on point again. It's really... It's still really funny, despite being, like, so serious at some parts. It's, I feel like one of the main criticisms of the movie was that it's not as fun as the first one. But I'm like, some of the humor didn't land with me. A good chunk of it did. I also took this movie pretty hard to the chin um, because I relate to um, certain characters like Star Lord and their Mm -hmm. relationship with their parents, where where you have that. Oh man, my parent is so great and so awesome. And you find out, and then you find out some stuff, (laughs) and you're like, oh. This might not be so great. The reveal in, in Guardians 2 is handled so well, especially if you watch the two as a unit. It truly is a volume two. In the yeah. Sequ- this isn't a sequel. This is a continuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, Most it's, definitely. it's the proper way to do a lot of the superhero stories that we've struggled with for a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Number six. We've already talked about this movie, but I feel like talking about it again because it's it's a very emotional climax for me, especially with some of the hot garbage uh, we've seen. It's an X Men movie. Uh, X Men Apoc. I mean Logan. Logan. Say, you're you're too late for the apocalypse jokes. <laughs> That's fine. I'm still gonna make them. But Logan really hit me hard because. Again, all of the Wolverine movies I've seen, all of the X-Men movies, which have basically just been Wolverine movies with other people surrounding him. Almost, yeah. I mean, oh, Jean Grey is there. Ah, who cares? Hugh Jackman is there. And he's he's cutting still people. there. People are cutting people in half. But Logan not only gave me a great song to listen to with Kaleo's Way Down We Go, which I listen to almost on repeat constantly, <laughs> um, it also gives that kind of bleak outlook that comic books tend to forget how to do properly of hey the world kind of sucks and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it except struggle and struggle and even then you still don't get it right and the movie plays its messages so well with like doesn't matter how much good you try to do uh, someone's always going to be there to stop you and Sometimes you don't get to see the fruits of your labors. Uh, sometimes the hero does not get to see his successes. Hmm. And he is only left with the hope that everything went okay in in that ultimate sacrifice. And There's an Oscar short from the animation category that really resonates with that this past year. So Yeah, so Logan is phenomenal. Um, it is the best... X-Men movie and one of the best superhero movies. It tops a lot of the Marvel franchise, uh, in my opinion, but it hits hard. Totally worth seeing it. I was going to say, jumping off of what you're saying, I think what it also resonates with is the fact that despite all that you do, he all he could basically do was try very hard to give this little girl the best education he could in the time that he had because even I think he didn't think he was going to last much longer especially as the way things kept going throughout the film and I mean it talks about that mental state after living so long and seeing seeing everything go through and just what your mind goes through when your life has been you know trial and struggle and it's all come to near naught and there's really only one way out and you want to be the master of your fate and, and yet, <laughs> and, and you can't. Yeah, in Wolverine's case, his own physiology won't let him. Uh, to a degree, but he he has that option to get out of it. Get out! He 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 get t- out! <laughs> <laughs> he he thinks about using it, but he has to wait till his other goals have been completed before he can go um, in his own quote unquote peaceful way. And this is an excellent ending to an excellent role for uh, an excellent Australian playing a Canadian in an American franchise. All right. Six for me. Six slash, I don't know. Six. Oh, yeah, six. You don't have a tie. I have no ties. Six. But your name's Ty. Shut up. (laughs) John Wick, Chapter 2. Oh, my goodness. What an action ride we have. If you have not seen the original John Wick, what are you doing? Second. That's Ian McShane. (laughs) (laughs) That alone makes it worth watching. Oh, boy. 
Uh, I think the best, well, this is the best way to summarize the beginning of this movie is how many times can Keanu get hit by a car? <laughs> a lot. A lot. Like, t- many, many times over. It's surprising how many cars ran into him within the first, what, t- ten minutes of this film? I mean, it was just the Fast and Furious movie, but better. Essentially. Um, but, oh my goodness, like John Wick Chapter 1, the action in this film was phenomenal, well choreographed, impactful, and in most cases, incredibly believable. Um, and the world building in this, if you liked what you saw, again, in Chapter 1, in John Wick 1, this just takes that and continues to build over and even makes things somehow seem even more widespread and drastic than the previous one did. If you thought that it was just like this underground thing that was not necessarily too evident in the overworld, whew, get ready to, like, just eat those words, I suppose. It's getting a TV show. Oh my, is it really? The Continental. The Continental. Yeah. It's all about the, the hotel. Oh my and word, the, I yeah, am so hyped. <laughs> I'm so glad I broke this to you. The, the, the oh funnest thing for me... You saw his eyes are like... <laughs> for, for John Wick as I've had to convince several people no this is not based off of a comic book this is an original idea you fools an original like assassin mercenary undercover agent flick that is actually like not altogether cliche it's well it, it subverts a it lot is. of tropes it does most of the time it does a whole he's not like all powerful he gets hurt a he lot. gets hurt a lot <laughs> he, he takes several shots his main mission in the second movie is not completed by him that's true it's not and oh boy and yeah subversion of expectations a big deal in this one world building great characters returns of some great faces too yeah um and and that cliffhanger oh my gosh i will talk more about it <laughs> oh man this like you know how tom cruise runs in all his movies well keanu actually has reason to be sprinting in these movies <laughs> oh yeah Oh my word, John Wick Chapter 2, I cannot wait for the TV show. I can't wait for Part 3. And Chapter 3. Things might be, you know, it's been over a year since our last John Wick piece. It's just an unabashed action flick to its pinnacle. John Wick is the last samurai. (laughs) I mean, it would be better than the actual last samurai. That's (laughs) true. Oh, but yeah. If my wait if my, a minute, I saw forty seven Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome if, back to the anti cruise cast. Uh. <laughs> if my co-hosts and fellow podcasters' reactions was not enough evidence for you, go see Job Wick Chapter Two. You will not be disappointed. It's good. Lost City of Zed. Yep, it's good. It's real good. It's a fine, fine lost vintage from. The Hollywood Revolution of the 70s just fermented into a fine, fine little film. Charlie Hunnam's Charlie Hunnam's damn good. Robert Pattinson is having the time of his life he has recently. so much fun in this movie. He's at... No, I'm talking about... Like, him and Kristen Stewart have made the decision, because Kristen Stewart was in one of my non-honorable... Was in my other... It's Fighting for My Top 20, a movie called Personal Shopper, where... They have both made their money making the Twilight movies, and now they're in the phase of their career where they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do. Now that they don't need to make, now that they don't need to depend on making money anymore, and it's so enviable. And it's like, wow, 
I wish I could be like that and do whatever I wish with my career. Robert Pattinson made two excellent movies this year. I'm going to talk about the other one, the other one in a second. But Lost City of Zed is possibly the best non-Herzogian jungle exploration movie ever made. It's absurdly good. The the atmosphere, the photography, the the dynamics explored with each and every character who pops on screen. And there are even some downright Herzogian moments in this movie regarding an opera house in the Amazon, which is st- lifted directly from his movie Fitzcarraldo. And, man, those of you who didn't see Lost City of Zed, you missed out, man! It was really good! God! I know I should We'll get to it! I know Well, first we'll get, get you it. on Dark Side of Dimensions, apparently, because he's called Dibs. I do but, need to get you under that dark side. <laughs> but yeah, Lost City of Zed, it's really good! Watch it! The top 10 of 2017 will conclude next time as the ragtag crew of the Brenner Prize count down their top 5 films of 2017. Thank you for listening. The OP was Cascade's remix of Rinsler from Tron Legacy Reconfigured. Available now wherever music is sold. Stay safe and healthy out there.